This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. everybody, and welcome to Keep Screaming, a podcast where two best friends dissect horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. This is my co-host, B-Bass. Hello. <laughs> um, we, if this is for your first episode, what we do is we go over every aspect of a slasher film that we pick. Um, we're bi-weekly, so we pick every other week. Um, we pick one slasher movie and literally dig into the history, and then we go by, kill by kill through the movie. Um, and then at the end of the podcast, we rank the movies on our list, which you can find at keepscreaming.com. Um, and yeah, we have a full list over there. I think this is going to be our 14th or 15th movie. Um, 15th movie. Yeah. So yeah, that means 30 weeks we've been doing this. Yeah. Go us. Yeah. We're over halfway to a year. So that's exciting. Um, yeah. So that's if you're new. And if you're not new, you already know what we do. And what we do next is our pop culture check-in. So that's where, well, let me, I guess I skipped over the part where you can find us. Um, Keepscreaming.com is our website. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at ScreamingCast. Um, B has done a good job at posting there more. I'm not good at that. It's not, that's not me. I have access to both those things and I just don't do it. Um, I know. Sometimes I'll see that something somebody replies to something, and I'm like, "What? I didn't." And I'm like, "Whoa!" Ryan actually posted. Yeah, every so once in a while. Most of the time, it's me. Most of the time, it's her. I, I'll remember occasionally, but sometimes, like even when I remember, I just do it from my own Twitter account because I'm on there more often. Um, but you can find me on my own Twitter account if you want to. That's at Ryan Larson, and B has her own at B not B, which is B E E not B E A. We're also uh, available through Apple Podcasts, Castbox, and Stitcher. And you can find us at podpeople.me, which is our podcasting network um, produced by Brennan Klein. So at the beginning of every episode, before we dive into the movie, we do what we call our pop culture check-in, where we talk about movies, books, um, music, whatever we want to talk about. Uh, some of it is horror, some of it is not, just to kind of give you guys an idea, a glimpse of what else we do outside of the slasher genre. Although sometimes, you know, there's just slashers in there too. We're slasher fans, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, B is still trying to figure out what she watched last week. Oh no, I figured it out. Oh okay, cool. I, know. Um, I guess we'll start with the one we both watched, which was Game Night. Yeah. Um, I don't know who directed it. I feel really bad. Uh, but it's a comedy from Sony. I know that. Uh, Jason it's a Bateman director, I believe. Oh wow, really? Oh wow. Oh, oh wow. wow, really? Um, Jason Bateman, Rachel McAdams. Oh, just kidding. Oh no, John it's John Francis Daly. Daly. Yeah, duh. From okay, Freaks and Geeks, yeah. and um. Bones. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I knew that because Ashley got super stoked when I told her. Um, did a really good job too. Yeah. It was really funny. Kyle Chandler, it, the like supporting cast is great. It has Kyle Can- Chandler. It has um, Michael C. Halls in it for a second. Oh, which is oh gr- my gosh. He's, he hasn't been in anything forever. So I guess he's in. He I see he him has a Netflix, Netflix original. show. Yeah. But oh my goodness, when he popped up, I'm watching it with Ben, and I look at him like, oh my god, because I like didn't. Re- I think I knew initially that he's in it, but it'd been so long I'd forgotten, and I I love. Michael C. Hall so much. And his voice just sexy voice melts yeah. me like to my core. Mm. I think I like 
screamed. I was so excited and distracted the entire time he was on screen because I was like, I miss you. I miss seeing you. Yeah, I haven't seen him in much since Dexter. Well, he had cancer. But that was like halfway through Dexter. It was like the very tail end of Dexter. Oh, well, I guess he's so beaten cancer. Yeah. Good I mean, I know you. he was like fine, but I, I mean, I don't know if this is like for sure, but I would assume that he... Like, maybe took a little break. Also, being on a TV show for what? Six years? Yeah. Yeah. That's a big... Well, and then Six Feet Under before that was another yeah. five, six years. And also went through a divorce. Yeah. So, uh, it was great to see him again, though. Ugh. Love Michael C. Hall. Love uh, Kyle Chandler. Lamorne from New Girl, who plays Winston. Oh, yeah. Winston, he was, was great It was great to see him in something. Um, that one guy was killing me, and I he was in Ingrid Goes West. Oh, it's, um, uh, it's a Hudson. It is? It's Kate Hudson's other brother. Oh, he was killing me. Yeah. He yes. was hilarious uh, in it. Um, yeah. No, just really, uh, really, really solid supporting cast, but just like genuinely kind of snuck in there, really funny movie. Yeah, really funny. Um, take some twists and turns that you expect some, don't expect some, like Ben and I. Ben's actually very good at seeing where a film is going to go. Um, I yell at him all the time, like, not to say something, even though I maybe have an inkling that it's going to go in that direction. I like to kind of, like, play naive and just enjoy it. And Ben's, like, a full-blown detective in most aspects of his life. So he loves, like, this is what they're going to do. And it even, like, got him a couple times, like, the twist that they took. It was super fun. And, oh, God, I always forget his name, but... um, Landon from Friday Night Lights. Yeah. Or Landry. Yeah. He, uh, he, was, he was He was killing me. Amazing in this. Uh, for those who didn't watch Friday Night Lights, he's also in the uh, Star Trek spoof episode of Black Mirror. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's super, and he plays kind of like a really stone cold character in this one too. He plays like a the next door neighbor cop and it's just, it's it's too good. It was super enjoyable. Um, I just, I got just got really excited because the guy who wrote it, is Mark Perez, and he freaking wrote The Country Bears um, oh and Herbie Fully Loaded. And that made me really excited because I think we talked about this on an episode where you, like, randomly say things from a movie that and it's, like, completely out of context, and there's a line from Country Bears, like, we're going to get the band back oh together, yeah, that I say time. all the time. And, like, I say it with our friend Derek because we were in Disneyland one night and Country Bears was on, like – Super random. We're like, it, the, Ryan and our friend Derek went to Disneyland, like, what was that, six years ago six now? Six or seven, so yeah. Just the three of us who went, are like, staying in this really shitty, like, motel. And we were drinking quite a bit. It was, like, our last night. We were done with the park. And the TV, home. like, I mean, this wasn't that long ago. The TV was still, like, a box TV. And, and it was, like, so fuzzy. staticky. Yeah, it was So fuzzy. staticky. So what was on first was that... Predator. Predator. The, with like, the, Adrian Brody yeah. Predator movie. And then the country bears came on, oh, and we're so like weird. all very intoxicated yeah, and like exhausted, and we're just like watching the country bears like through the staticky TV, just cracking up. And then that's kind of where that like "gonna get the band back together" joke came from. So that's a weird movie. It is a really weird movie. If yeah. you guys haven't seen it, <laughs> two thousand two, uh, and it's literally based on like a restaurant from disneyland it's yeah. so bizarre disney is weird um but yeah Fun so story <laughs> so game night definitely worth checking out um really really liked it um rachel mcadams is the best she's such a babe and she's she's like really funny and i've known that for a long time but i don't think she gets like 
for like due credit when it comes to comedy. Yeah. Like you know Jason Bateman's hilarious, but always. Um, I also watched. Uh, I watched quite a bit this week. I watched Toby Hooper Salem's Lot, which was a miniseries back in like the very very early eighties. Uh, because it's up on Shutter. Shutter's doing like a Stephen King month, so they put up that the original like uh, Tim Curry miniseries of it, Cat's Eye, and Creepshow. Um, it took two days because that it's oh, it was a miniseries. It's over three hours long, uh, but I really liked it. I won't completely dive into it. I will plug my site and let you know that I wrote an article about it over at ghastlygrinning.com, so you can check that out there if you want to. Uh, but I went in very hesitant and and like coming out loving it. I also watched Deep Blue Sea two, which is um, was made last year and debuted I think on Sci Fi and. The only way I can describe it is it unironically. Wait, it was last year this came out? Yes. God, I was thinking when you were telling me about it that it came out like a long ass time ago. No, it was last year. It was like, it's been 16 years, yeah, I think, since I just Deep Blue Sea 1. No. That it was. It was made for TV. Oh. Made for Sci Fi Channel. Actually, I don't even know if it was made for TV. I think it was made and then like they picked it up. Unironically, like the most 90s, like mid 90s middle-of-the-day USA Network movie I've ever watched in my entire life. Like, they have basically no budget, so the the CG they can use on the bull, like, the big bull shark, which isn't, like, huge, but, like, just bigger, um, is pretty much, like, all of their budget. So the rest of the time, it's, like, these little toy sharks that they're, like, throwing at things, and, like, they indicate sharks are in the water by bubbling in this weird, like, wee, 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 like, weird noise. Um, I don't know if you're a diehard, like, shark, aqua, like, aquatic horror fan, then maybe, and, like, I think there was something to be enjoyed of, like, watching it literally in the middle of the day and feeling like, holy crap, I'm home from school and I'm, like, 16 again, uh, but outside of that, I don't know if there's a whole lot of redeeming value to this movie, um also watched see no evil 2 which was the follow-up um to the original see no evil this one was taken over by the Saska sisters who have done american mary um they're doing david cronenberg's rabid remake uh stars kane from wwe really like that movie um super fun it takes the whole thing takes place in a uh, corners like a morgue pretty much um and just super brutal old school slasher and that one's I think came out like four or five years ago now. And then I watched Trick or Treats and Trick or Treats. So one of my favorite movies of all time is Trick or Treat um, by um, is it Michael Doherty? Yeah. Um, and there's uh, I I've always known that there's a few other like Trick or Treat movies. And I was looking for the one that has a character named Sammy Kerr in it, who's like a rock star who has something to do with the devil. And I found this one instead on Amazon Prime. It's about like a babysitter who the movie like literally starts out with like this lady and her husband at this Hellenized house and they're like talking like normal and then these guys just show up and arrest the husband and like put him in a mental institution because you find out that he's crazy and then she's like babysitting one night and he escapes and he's out to get it's weird it's a weird movie it was like you can tell it was like back in the era when it was like anyone with a video camera and a VHS tape could make a movie I can't highly recommend this unless you're, like, a completist of slashers. Um, I would say 
I like we'll put this really far down on our list of slashers to cover. <laughs> it's not even like it's not even like one of those things where you're like, oh, like like I enjoyed parts of it, or like it's so crazy, like like curtains is so crazy that I like ended up loving it, and this I just could not get into it at at all. Um, just like not good acting. There's a little kid in it who keeps doing these like pranks who ends up being really annoying. The guy, the lead actor in it, like he kind of just reminded me of Meatloaf for some reason and i couldn't take any of it seriously i don't know it was weird uh, but yeah so that i i think i even watched more actually this week i had three days off um and i wow. mean yeah i had three days off which was nice that's very rare um and my wife and i went and did like a mud run one day so that took up a whole day but the other um days i was trying to watch some movies because it's been a while since i just sat there and watched some movies so that's what i watched wow so long-winded today i know it's usually you. Yeah. Give you a break. Um, so, I'll update you on my Dawson's Creek status. Mm. Season 2, episode 19. Nice. Um, I'm chipping along. It feels slow. Um, but, I th- really, I think I'm chipping like an episode a day. Um, well, it's like an hour almost every yeah. episode. 45 minutes. Yeah. And I feel good with that. Yeah. Um, I don't want to... And don't need to watch five episodes of Dawson's Creek a day. So it's getting good. Um, I won't give anything away. You know, spoilers fucking 20 years later. Yeah. Literally 20 years. Um, But something just happened where I was like, oh, that must be the season finale. And I looked and I was like, oh, no. So there's some stuff that's going to happen that uh, is going to tie this together for the cliffhanger. I do know that Kevin Williamson... um, departs after this season um and so for seasons three four and five i think there's six seasons so for three four and five he's not involved he's just like an executive producer but he's not writing i don't know i haven't looked into the reason why he left maybe Um, he screamed he might have been just doing something else um but then he comes back for the final season and I know, like, there's some things that happened in season three, and people are like, we know that's because Kevin wasn't there, and blah, blah, blah. But So I'm interested to see, like, how uh, knowing that and watching it, like, kind of for the first time, how that affects my viewing. And I don't seeing... think I ever knew that. Yeah. Hmm. He departs after the second season. So I'm interested to see what shifts happen with his absence. Um. So that's where I'm in that. I... Did a lot of reading these last two weeks. So I finished this book called The Wife Between Us, um, which sounds really trashy, but it wasn't. Um, by Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekinen. Um, it's like along those lines of those books that I've been reading, sort of like the distressful narrator, like twists and twists. It was fine. Um, I will admit that like the fr- I really liked the first half of the book. Um, and then it kind of uh, drags on um, the second half, like after the first big twist, and you're like, oh, okay, all right, I see what happened. I feel like they could have wrapped it up, and instead you have a whole other half of the book. Um, it's interesting. It's a, It got a little silly, um, but it, it told a really um, – I think a really important portrayal of uh, relationships when you 
are dependent on another person and how uh, damaging that can be and how you might not realize your lifetime lifetime like ramifications of relying on another person because what happens if that person's gone like how is the rest of your life can unfold and that's kind of what they play with this idea that this woman's very reliant on her husband and then when she she no longer has that husband what does her life look like is it told from different <clears throat> perspectives thus the two authors or did they just um, so the story is why it's two authors is I believe that Sarah is the author, like she's a writer, and Greer is, it might be the other way, I can double check, but Greer is the, has been her editor for years, oh, okay. and they became friends, and then they decided that um, when this story came that they would end up writing it together. It seemed like a story for them both to tell. But it is from the per- it is from a couple different perspectives. It's one of those things where it kind of plays in with the twists, but you do hear it from a few different perspectives, which I always like. I enjoy novels where it's not just one note. I find those really interesting. Um, so I did that, and then I watched, finally watched Doctor Strange by... Scott Derrickson, the director of um, Sinister. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doctor Strange is a Marvel movie. Um, Benedict it's Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch. Mods Mikkelsen, who I love. What is that chick? The bald chick. The weird one. Oh, uh, Tilda Swinton. I decided to watch it. I like this movie. I like fantasy. Um, so I like that. I really like magic. Thought that was all cool. It didn't really feel like a Marvel movie. And I like Marvel movies a lot. But I liked this one. Really felt like its own thing. Um, I don't like her. I've decided. I just have a really hard time with her in roles. She's and I've seen her in a lot of things. Yeah. And um, sorry for the dogs barking. I have the door open. Are being loud. Um, she's, I don't know. I just, I feel like she's always playing the same character. I yeah. I I I feel like she gets typecast a lot for sure. Yeah. Um, because of her kind of androgynous nature and like she kind of has this aura of like weird around right. her. Right. Um, there are definitely things I've liked her in. Moonrise Kingdom I like a lot. Yeah, I like Burn After Reading. There's a lot of movies she's in that I like, but I don't necessarily like her in them. She was good in We Need to Talk About Kevin. She was good in Constantine. I don't remember her in that. And she's she's like the angel. And then she's good in Narnia as the White Witch. <laughs> I forgot she was in that. Oh, those um, movies. Those movies are, are not great. I don't like um, those movies. But I agree with you. She, yeah. And I think she's, like, especially in more recent years, has fallen more into that. I watched some, like, weird-ass drama with her that was, like, on HBO one day. Um, was it We Need to Talk About Kevin? No. Uh, with, with Ezra Miller? That's no. a great movie. Uh, I don't know what it was, but she was, like, on vacation and, like, somebody died and they, like, didn't speak the language and... It was so weird, and I was kind of confused about what was going on, and she was just so unlikable. I don't know. This isn't, like, a hating on Tilda Swanson, but I just found, like, watching this movie, like, I didn't care for her performance in this, and then I think I just realized a pattern. But besides that, I thought the way they filmed the magic in this and a lot of the scenes, I just kept thinking, like, holy shit, you have to be 
a like certain type of director to pull off this story mm-hmm. and kind of have this like sense of imagination. And I think it, I found it so appropriate that it was from a horror director. Like, yep. totally made sense. Yep. And, you know, of course, probably I were going to be inclined to like it, but it did. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch is great always, but mm-hmm. I thought it was a, <clears throat> a pretty arrogance. great entry into that world. I just, it's one of the main reasons I really love Marvel. And, like, I know a lot of, like, cinephiles out there, like, hate the Marvel machine or whatever. But I don't think it's, like, a lot of the times they're just, like, their justifications, I think, are unfounded. And one of the main reasons I love Marvel so much, unlike DC, who is just, like, handed over the keys of their universe to Zack Snyder for some reason. um, They're just so willing to take a chance on directors. And it's funny because people will be like, well, yeah, blah, 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 like, this director... And, but then you think, like, people are, oh, yeah, well, John Favreau, and I'm like, but they made John Favreau big. Like, yeah, he had a few, like, hits here and there. He was an actor, like a big yeah. actor. He was a big actor. He did swingers. <clears throat> like, he had his, like, stuff that he did, but he wasn't, like, a big-name director. And then he made freaking Iron Man, and then, yeah. he, like, he became a big-name director. I mean, they took a guy, um, you know, uh, James Gunn. James Gunn, yeah. had, his biggest movie was Slither. Slither. That was his biggest movie. Yeah. And he worked, he came up with Lloyd Kaufman over at Troma. Um, and that was his biggest movie. And then, you know, they trusted him to do Guardians of the Galaxy. They trusted the Russos, who had their biggest project was directing episodes of Community. Um, yeah. And writing on, like, I think the Larry David show, like, and Arrested Development. Uh, like, they, they're willing to put trust in people. And that, that's, like, I think a lot of studios are not willing to do the same. Um so, like, when they tapped Scott Derrickson, and I, Sinister is one of my favorites, and yeah. he also did, I really like his follow-up, which was Deliver Us From Evil, with Joel McHale and Eric Bana. Um, I love both those movies. I don't and know so, if I've seen that. Uh, it's really good. It's like a cop supernatural thriller. Um, but I like both of those, so I just, I just love Marvel for taking a chance on, like, those guys, because, like, it's funny, because I feel like a lot of people... Well, like I said, they are like, oh yeah, well that guy, and it's like, but they weren't a big name before that. Like they were, like Scott Derrickson was well known in his community. James yeah. Gunn was well known in his community. The Russos were well known in TV, but like none of these people, you were like taking chances to direct a blockbuster movie. I I would honestly say like the biggest director to get anything was probably Ryan Coogler, because he had yeah. done Fruitvale Station and Creed, which were both yeah. like wildly successful movies. Sac State uh, alumni. Yes. Yeah. So I think, like, he was probably the biggest at that point. Oh, no. Kenneth Branagh. Sorry. Kenneth Branagh did Thor. I forgot. Um, so Kenneth Branagh was definitely the well, biggest. Well, Scott but... Derrickson actually just tweeted, and he said, what I learned in my year and a half in Marvel is that some companies make movies to make money. Marvel makes movies to make more movies. Mm-hmm. And I think that really does speak for that franchise and its success because they're putting out these films and telling these stories because they want to keep telling them. Yeah, they have a narrative that they want. Because there are definitely movies that, like, are less successful. Doctor Strange is actually one of the least successful. Uh, Ant-Man, the Thors, until Thor Ragnarok, weren't very successful. But, like, Marvel didn't care. Like, the first Thor was one of their worst, and so was Captain America. They were not very big, like... My favorites. <laughs> yeah. They weren't very big, like, box office yeah. movies for them, um, like, comparatively to their other things. But they kept making them because yeah. they had a narrative and they didn't care. And that's that's why I like Marvel. But I agree with you. Yeah. Like, Doctor Strange is super narratively different. Um, and I think it's... I just think it's a really, like, weird 
like 70s psychedelic <sighs> horror throwback movie. No, it is. And I think it's cool because, of course, all these characters come together for Avengers and whatever. But I think what I really end up like, I like the first Captain America because it exists in another time. Mm-hmm, in the 40s. Uh, in the 40s. And it's a period piece. And um, I love, one, I love the movie told in that time, but I also love how we can relate it to, oh, yeah, so that's before, like, Captain America. That's before, like, Iron Man and all these superheroes. So you, you you feel like you're on this, like, you have this, like, insider knowledge by watching it. Mm-hmm. And I really like the Thor movies that, like, I loved the last one because it took place in, like, Guardians of the Galaxy. It takes place in a literally a different universe, like, a different planet in yeah. this universe. But... You're getting a glimpse into a different world. I probably why I like those ones better than like say Iron Man or like the other Captain Americas, which are set on Earth mm-hmm. in our timeline. Part of what I thought was so cool about Doctor Strange is that op- it like those other films opens you up to this other world, mm-hmm. and it makes it the Marvel universe feel really, which it is in the comics. But it makes the movie franchise feel really fresh and original and um, expand on different creative aspects. And magic is fucking cool. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, it was cool to see like New York City and like, oh, the secret society and stuff. Like, I love that shit. Mm-hmm. Like, I like that Magicians TV show because that's what it is. It's like, oh, but there's this. That's why we all fucking love Harry Potter yeah. is because like, oh, these this is set in our time, but they've got, like, this secret world that coexists with us. So for that, I thought it was really fun, and it definitely wasn't spectacular. It, you know, I'm not going to, like, go revisit it all the time. No, but no, yeah. I, but I, I thought it was a cool story, and I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm excited to see more yeah, magic. And you'll really. see it in Avengers if yeah, you when haven't I seen see Infinity it, no. War, but um, he, and this was he's a, a huge part of it. And I'm like checking it off, so this was one of the ones I haven't seen. The only one I have left before I can see Avengers is Black Panther, which oh. just came out, so yeah, I I'll probably talk it. about that um, next week. I just bought it for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what we did. Oh, we will mention too, we don't talk too much about music, um, but that is big pop culture. And Ryan and I are big music fans. I worked in a record store for almost 10 years. Uh, that's the first, that's how Ben, Ben, well, that's how Ryan and I met, which is ended up how I met Ben. But Ryan and I met over our love for the same music. Mm-hmm. And we got to go to a concert on Friday, which was awesome. We went and saw Andrew McMahon do an acoustic show. And that was just fun to mention because that was amazing. But it was spectacular, and we all cried. Yes, I cried. It was the first time I've cried at a show, and I think it's just fun to bring up because almost 10 years ago, exactly, Ryan and I went and saw Andrew McMahon in his band called Jack's Mannequin, and that was like 10 years ago this fall, I think, mm-hmm. and that was like the very beginning of our friendship, so it yeah. was kind of cool to like go back. Ryan's uh, wife was there. Um, our friend Derek and Gina were there. And, and I just, Tony. And Tony. And so it's just really fun to, we love live shows and it's fun to experience that together. Yes, it was very like pulling at the heartstrings for all sorts. Of, yeah. I mean, he's just a great performer and the stories he was telling and then just like, like Playing you said. throwbacks. Yeah, and like you said, it's like 10 years of our friendship and like it's grown so much and like we have our other like best friends there and like, you know, my wife is there. So it's just, 
it was really cool. Um, yeah. yeah, we don't we we definitely don't talk about music a whole lot, but it's a massive part of both of our lives. Even though neither of us are musicians, but it's very very We're appreciators. Yes. Um, so moving on to the movie, uh, if you tuned in last week or tuned in to Scream 101 with Brendan, that the co uh, or I was a I guessed it on his show last week. Um, you know that the movie we're covering this week is called Hellbent. B found it. Um, we're trying to stay out of the 80s for a little bit. And it's from 2004. Millennium. Yeah, right, right there at the turn. It's so um, good. And the plot is a serial killer has been trailing a group of guys in West Hollywood attending the, ho- the Halloween festivities. They'll have to fight for their lives to survive the night. Um, if you guys don't know, if you're not from California or like are uh like if you're not in tune with uh west hollywood uh, i lived in socal for three years and i found out quickly that everyone calls it weho and weho is um a huge gay community um like very a very openly gay and um embracing and it's it's honestly i i personally think one of the coolest places in um like the la area um just a lot of fun to be had there so this uh, synopsis does not give that away, but uh, the, if you know what West Hollywood is, you can kind of know what you're getting into here, and yeah. it is a very openly gay slasher movie, um, which is cool because we haven't had, I don't know if we've even had any movies with gay characters yet. That we've covered? Mm-hmm. I, don't I don't think so. Um, I mean, we've been in the 80s a lot, and there yeah. wasn't a whole lot of that then. Um, we are even talking about it because we're both obviously big scream and kevin williamson fans and kevin williamson is openly gay um oh most likely that i did yes um and um which i think we talked about one of the things that we liked that about it is because it did have a bit of inclusion yeah uh yeah i think that's it most likely to die and even even um even in like the scream movies and like the movies he's written he hasn't covered like homosexual characters a whole lot dawson's Um, creek but dawson's creek he does a lot um, and I know he wrote, and I've never seen it actually. I know he wrote a horror movie that is like a—I don't think it's a slasher, but it's like a. Oh, it's called Venom. Right? Yeah, it's called Venom, and it's like a gay horror movie. Um, but yeah, this is one of like the very first really big, um, like, gay slashers. Uh, there have been there were some before it, but they didn't get quite the notoriety that this one did. Yeah, so this one kind of got famous for that. Um, came out June twenty sixth, two thousand four. So right in the middle of summer. Uh, very independent film. Uh, you can tell, like, very cheaply made. There's a lot of stock footage from like the actual Halloween festivals in West Hollywood. Uh, they filmed a lot of it during the actual festivals or like different, I think, street festivals that were happening in West Hollywood. Um, so there's not even an actual budget number on it. Uh, it did. So it did come out. Oh man, I thought I had it down. Um, Because I wanted to make sure I got it right. Let me pull it up. Um, Probably in a release. Yeah. Dead air. Oh, just kidding. I know exactly where it is on the research. I was going to trivia too quickly. Um, So it screened at uh, 30 LGBTQ film festivals in the U.S. in um, in between June of 2004 to April 2006. So it did the festival circuit for a long time. didn't actually get its DVD release until like 2008. 
Um, it did get commercially released in like 39 theaters. Which is um, nothing. Yeah, which is absolutely abs- nothing. But, so with 39 theaters, it still made $183,000. That's really good. So that's screen. really good. Mm. And it had um, generally positive reviews from critics. Um, and so I think, in especially in the community, people were... Um, Really excited about it at the time, and uh, I can see why. $4,600 a screen, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually, uh, when <clears throat> movies open low like that, I know like around five or $6,000 to like low screens is pretty good. Yeah. So that's, yeah, good, especially for 04. Yes, exactly. So um, in its world, it's definitely a success, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes, <clears throat> I've heard lots of... Um, heard lots of very good things about it from like that community um which and i mean ryan and i will just put that we're both straight we mm -hmm. uh so this entire like analysis is coming from two straight people who uh are very supportive of the community and uh and have a small knowledge of Mm -hmm. the community um and so just like slight disclaimer on that is that Definitely, we're not a part of the community, nor are we experts on it. Nope. So our analysis on this is coming from two straight people who very surface allies and love slashers. But we're very surface level on like actual like I didn't like. There's a part in this that has to do with cruising, which B had to like remind me, which I didn't know what it was, but like I didn't from know from pop culture. That. That's yeah. the only reason why we know what it yeah, is. Yeah. So, um, but definitely, we're definitely all about inclusion too. And like, you know, our, the website that I run and that B has written for is all about inclusion and minority representation. So we were really excited to be able to cover this movie too. Um, and that's like definitely something that we want to do more. So it's one of the reasons we picked this one. Yes. Uh, there are two posters for this one. One is better than the other. <laughs> so we're talking about like the main one that you'll see, and then it's like the DVD cover, and it is the scene with um, Ed. His name is Eddie, right? Our yep. main protagonist, main character. So you can see Eddie, and you can see um, the profile of his face, and you just see one eye, and you see a, like a blade going into it. And if you look further down, you can tell kind of that it's a sickle, although it's like distorted, so it's not really accurate. But yeah. whatever. And then you can see our lovely killer in the background in red. You can see his freaking ripped. Dude, he's ripped as shit. Ripped he's, muscles. Yeah, he's very shirtless punchy. and like his like devil. He so you can't really tell in the poster, but in the film, his devil mask is like a half mask, mm-hmm. and then he has a goatee. Yeah. Oh, it's great. So it's like red in the background, black and white in the front, and it's got this like silver metallic-y, like. Uh, type treatment with shine and it's supposed to look like a blade i think and it's distorted on the h and it hurts my soul it's very 2000s yeah it's uh, it's the imagery of the eye with the sickle is cool um it actually kind of feels a little like scream um yeah i think it's probably like the black and white treatment with like the the focus on the eye is what reminds me of scream for sure um, the type of treatment's garbage. Uh, the tagline for this is, when the night belongs to the devil, the party goes to hell. It's a really long tagline. It's a mouthful. And sure, it kind of makes sense, but it's whatever. And then, of course, it has to say from the co-creator of Halloween and the executive producer of A Nightmare on Elm Street. 
Uh, I couldn't find that connection when I was looking. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Those are very loose no, lines so, you have to draw. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think what it comes from the actual person. Who wrote it? One of the producers who like had the idea for the film was one of the people who was involved in Halloween. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, there's so um, was many. part of the like... conception. So executive producer Michael Roth, Joseph Wolf, who is the guy who did Halloween 2, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Okay. I don't know where the Nightmare on Elm Street connection is, but that's the Hol- Halloween connection is... Joseph Wolf was an executive producer and one of the people who found Paul Etheridge Oates, Oates, um, who did direct this, who was an uh, art director before this. And he wrote this too. And he wrote it. So they read a script from him. I guess he was writing like a romantic comedy and they liked his writing and said, hey, we want to do a serial killer horror slasher with uh, gay protagonists. Would you be interested in writing and directing? Because Hollywood is really weird. And he did. How those connections really play into two of the biggest slasher franchises of all time? Not really, but... You, know, you just gotta throw that crap on the yeah. corner to sell on a DVD. So, you know, um, whatever I, to them. <laughs> I definitely... So it turns out that the title was selected from a Name the Movie contest. And I was just reading this before we started because, uh, you know, B does all the research. I've said that numerous times. It's not a secret. Uh, and so when some of the other names that were on there, uh, 28 Gays Later, Boy, Me- Boy Meets Knife, and Queer Eye for the Dead Guy. Uh, I love all of those. Um, Hellbent is definitely probably better overall, I understand. But it also barely fits. The, I, I don't know. He's a devil killer, so I guess that works. Um, but I, I don't know. I just think those are really funny. Um, sure. Yeah, they're they're silly. They're they're definitely silly. I almost feel like those could have just been a tagline for the movie. Too. Yeah. Um, there were no sequels. It, could have been open for a sequel. No sequels. Yeah, definitely like teases a sequel at the end. Um, the score is queercore, which we found <laughs> out is basically like weird punk slash new metal that has to do with like gay themes um it's basically like i looked up a a a list of like queer core bands and like you'll get a lot of stuff like against me or gossip so like you get a lot of bands where like the lead singer is openly like gay or transgender um but whether or not like they actually sing about that is a little different uh but the bands in this i think were all definitely like um they're, I, I guess, like, well-known in the scene for being uh, yeah. o- openly gay bands. Yeah, the lyrics are more distinguished um, having to do with themes of their sexual identity, whether that's dealing with being in society and not being accepted or actually being homosexual or whatever it is. Like, the actual music itself has more to do with being queer than just being queer and in a band. Yes, um i like this i like the soundtrack it's like very punk rock ish yeah there was some of it that i wasn't a huge fan of because like new metal is not my favorite it's not my jam like i often refer to it as like butt rock because it just kind of like i don't like the like deep like the deep singing weird like sometimes rapping stuff um but all the stuff that was like punk i liked a lot and then like 
Um, they're also like at raves and clubs and stuff. I thought it was very appropriate. Like yeah. all of them, all of the music was very appropriate. And there's also music in almost the whole movie. Uh huh. Like there's music the whole time because it's basically not really a score. No, basically twenty minutes in, they get to the Halloween like festival, and as soon as they get there, it's like everywhere they go, there's like a live a band party, playing, yeah. or they're like at a at a club. Um, and it was all very like upbeat it was all appropriate uh there was nothing like grading there wasn't anything that like super stood out to me um especially as far as like musical cues for a slasher movie but the soundtrack this i would say the soundtrack more than the score was good like it was enjoyable um because even like the parts where the killer is killing often happens like in a club scene so it's still just like the normal like rock music or club music that's happening um yeah so that was for the score like we mentioned, um, Paul Etheridge, Outs, O-U-Z-T-S, however you say that. Outs. Uh, Outs. Uh, directed and wrote it. He was like a, previously worked in film, like in the art department, like as an art director, do a lot of like set dressings. And somehow these producers, executive producers found him. Um, he'd never written a complete script or directed a film. And I guess to prepare when he got approached by the, um, producers to do it he just watched as many horror films from the 80s as he could find and uh, what I thought was interesting <clears throat> when you can tell when you watch it especially because I did the research this time before I watched the film because I really didn't know much about it is that he identified the structure which what we talk about where we have a lot of stereotypes of characters the final girl, the slut, the like tough guy, the jokester um and he wanted to, he turned each of those stereotypes into a gay version um, of those tropes of more heterosexual characters. Um, what I did like, though, is he did that instead of picking, ho- like, homosexual stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, so this is the queen and this is, like, whatever those stereotypes are, like, the I mean, like I said, I'm not super familiar with them, but like, oh, this is like the really flamboyant guy. And this is all the characters didn't really have any note. Like when we watch gay characters in straight films, Mm -hmm. films about straight people, usually that gay character is portrayed a certain way, Mm -hmm. like very stereotyped. Yeah. Like, unfortunately, the gay character is a stereotype or it has, it has been and it still manages to be sometimes we've luckily strayed from it um and and like 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 bia saying and he um and she even put in the notes what he says he the characters in hellbent have moved beyond worrying about whether it's okay to be gay or not um and their sexuality is incidental to them yes. so these are just the these they, are, just they are gay people and these are the they're still just your stock horror movie stereotypes that just happen to be gay which is great um it made the movie like really enjoyable because you still identify like as a horror fan with your like you can still identify oh you have your final girl like boy your final boy and you have the yeah. slut and you have the tough guy yeah like those characters all still existed well within the realm of this movie um as opposed to it having to be like oh well that's the flamboyant one and that's the like really butch one and that's like because that wasn't necessary what does that have to do with it being a horror film so i loved that like they're just like yeah no that doesn't matter Yep. And especially too, because they took, there's like a little bit where uh, one of the characters goes as, dresses as, in drag, like as a queen for Halloween, 
that's not his uh, normal identity. It's not something he normally does is dress and drag. He just did it for Halloween. And that character does make a few jokes like, oh, we got to send this to my mom. And he's like a model. Mm-hmm. Um and they show that. And so you kind of get the feeling that maybe his mom's, like, not super accepting of him. But otherwise in the film, it truly does feel like they're just regular characters. Because they are. Yeah, because they and are. And it doesn't yeah. have anything to do with... That's not a plot point, which I appreciate. No, I... I they kind of ignore it. Which yeah. is nice. I love that, I mean, like, this movie is well known for being a, a gay slasher movie, which is awesome. But also at the same time, like, it's not, it never goes out of its way to be like, look, we're the gay slasher movie. It's like, yeah. nope, these are just. Um, it's just a weird. slasher film and the characters happen to be gay. Yeah. So uh, I really, really enjoy that approach. And that's the way that, like, things should be approached because I hate when people go out of their way. Like, I also, I'm wondering, was the director writer also gay? I yeah, would assume I'm not so. Sure. There's because not a lot of information I think it's handled him. very tactfully. And, yeah. um, well, and probably a reason why it was so well received, too. Because I feel like this is a very low-budget film, and as we dive into it, we're going to discuss it, is lacking in a lot of departments. So the fact that it handled this aspect of it so well mm-hmm. is, I'm going to say, the best part of the film, and yeah. probably why it was so positively received, because it has inclusion without being like, without ostracizing the people it's including, yes. if that makes sense. Yes, Absolutely. We're being uh, like, oh, cool, yeah, there's a movie about, pe- like, if you're gay, you're like, oh, cool, there's characters, and one of the characters, bye. So you're like, yeah, cool, I'm, I'm in this film, but that's not what my life is like, you know? Which I feel like that happens a lot in yeah. films. It's like, oh, no, we included you. We got a bi character, but they, they don't act like a bi character. They only, like, a bi person, they act like what we're going to tell you a bi person acts like. Yeah, or it's like, oh, that character is bi. I would have never even, like, known if they hadn't said, like, oh, I'm bi. Yeah. Um, But, like, they were able to show us without telling us, which is good. The cast is wildly insignificant. There is no one here except one guy who went on to have a bunch of bit roles and parts. And just happened to be roles that in shows that Ryan and I have all watched because I'm like, no, I know that guy. Yeah, and he was I, like in an episode of Supernatural. Yeah. Um, he, he was like in a couple like of the TV shows that have been in our circulation, which is the only reason we under like we knew who he was. Everyone else pretty much stopped acting in like yeah. 08. Almost no one did anything past then. None of them have been anything really super big. Um, so Dylan Fergus is our lead as Eddie. Uh, Brian Kirkwood um, is Jake. Hank Harris is Joey. He's the one who was in Supernatural. He, uh, if you're a Supernatural fan, it's really hard to forget the LARPing episode. Mm-hmm. And that's he plays like the assholey LARPing guy. Um, he randomly appeared in Insidious Part 2. Uh, so he's been here and there. Uh, Andrew Levitas is he's Chaz. He's in which one? Little Evil. Oh, yeah, Little Evil. Oh, he's Dr. Jekyll in Once Upon a Time. Yeah, yeah. so he's still, like, actively acting. The rest of the cast is not. Mm-hmm. Um, like, n- nowhere. They, like I said. No, they, they are nowhere. Dylan Fergus is, like, one episode of that Amanda Bynes show. I don't know. Like, um, what I like about you. Yes, that show. Isn't that chick from uh, 90210 in it? Right? That's what? her sister? Huh? Jenny Garth? Oh, right? I was thinking about, I know, well, I guess she is in the new one, too. No, yeah. Yes, Jenny Garth is her sister, and I always forget his name, but he's, like, been in a thousand sitcoms. The guy who plays her love interest. He's also in uh, Two Broke Girls and a bunch of other things. No but idea. I always thought he was cute. Um, 
Yeah, no idea who you're talking about. The subgenre, um, <clears throat> it is a gay slasher movie. It openly touts itself as that. I hope everyone realizes that, and we're not just, like, declaring it as that. It's a gay slasher. Um, and it's also pretty much, like, your standard slasher. It's, like, very closely follows, like, the, the like, beats of, like, yeah. a teen slasher, um, yeah. college slasher movie. Um, we get an iconic weapon this time around. A sickle. Yeah, he, the killer has a sickle, which he uses... Almost for every kill. Yeah, ex- every kill. Yeah, um, which was cool because it's been a while since we've had one of those, and it's an effective weapon. It's a cool weapon. It fits like his whole like gimmick. Um, the killer himself is literally like goatee devil man. Yeah, uh, like we said, the director like stunt watched a bunch of films to practice for this and decided that he wanted the killer to be as anonymous as possible. Uh, he just wanted to be like, this is random, and this guy just happens to be killing people, and it's not some agenda. Mm-mm. It's not, like, any kind of story. And when you think about it, I think it's hard for us to remember because we have, what, 10 Halloween films? Yeah. But we didn't know shit about Michael. In the first uh, one? Yeah. We you did. know a little bit. Yeah, we know he killed his sister. Yeah, but barely. But also- Black fi- Christmas, you know nothing about your killer. Well, I mean, you find stuff out, but the best part about those movies is, like, you're told throughout the movie through, like, a different conduit. Um, I do think that sometimes less is more. Um, And there's even a part in this movie where he, because he's, like, he wanted, the main character, Eddie, works at the police station, and he wanted to be a police officer. Um, And he got into an accident that gave him a glass eye, and it ruined his vision, so he can't. Um, so he still, like, kind of works with the police department, but he can't ever be, like, an actual... His dad was a cop, his sister worked for the force, but he doesn't have any depth prevent... Perception. Perception because of his eye, so he can't shoot a gun, so he can't become a cop. Yeah, he he's basically, like, a desk jockey. Yeah. Um, but he, like, loves law enforcement, that's what he, like, is passionate about. Um, but there's even a part where he, like, says, like, don't let this turn into a gay bashing, um, to his sister, which I thought was, like, poignant because... I think it plays into, like, the stereo, or, like, not stereo, uh, the killer um, is, like, I think it's almost the director, like, saying, like, the motive is not he's killing gay people. Like, that's not the motive. It's just a killer. Yeah. It's just the psychopath. Happened to be in West Hollywood. Yeah. And the characters happened to be gay that he killed. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I even read, when I was reading up in the movie, he had lines originally, the killer did. Um, but they cut them all because he was so afraid, like, he didn't want people to see, because the killer's intimidating. He's incredibly, like, he's incredibly fit, um, yeah. doesn't wear a shirt, he's very tall, he has the biggest fucking hands I've ever seen in my entire life, because <gasps> he, at one point, like, touches the face of one of our characters, and I was like, he's like, yeah. God, his hands are big, and I looked, and I was like, holy shit, they're, they're huge, yeah. they're like the guy's face, so he's a dominating figure, um, and so he said he was, like, afraid that people would hear his voice and it, like, ruined their perception of him. And, like, they'd think he, like, sounded like something different or scarier. So he just cut all those to make him as intimidating as possible. And I think that works in their favor. Um, as far as body count, it's one of the lowest we've had, other than, like, April Fool's Day, which technically has zero. Um, or Slaughter High, which only technically has, like, two. Or um, Most Likely to Die, which... Or not Most fuck. Happy Death Day. Oh, yeah. Has, well, that's just, like, one of the yeah. times. Um, but it's five. So the movie starts out with um, two guys, like, for some reason, cramming their car full of balloons um, and then, like, going to make love in the car. And 
<laughs> the balloon thing was so it was cool. It looked like visually it was cool. Like it looked cool because uh, you have it all these set it up colors. for one of the coolest kills in the film because one of the characters gets decapitated, but the balloons are like I think he's like probably going down on him. Yeah, and one of the the guy gets decapitated. And, you know, he can't see because the freaking balloons are blocking. And then, you know, he travels up to his head and realizes his head's not there. Yeah, his whole head's missing. It's just, like, spewing out blood. The killer turns, comes around the other side of the car, breaks through the window, and kills him kind of off screen. And that's how the movie basically starts. It's our opening kill sequence that sets up for the events of the night to come. Yeah, we find out it's 18 hours later and our main character, Eddie, who is going out with like his roommate and some friends to like the big uh, West Hollywood Halloween fest- uh, festival, like street festival. Um, and the way they decide to start their night is parking where the two guys were murdered the night before and then walking to the street fair. Spooky. Yeah. <laughs> I think they literally say that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they... the dialogue wasn't great. No. Uh, the acting wasn't great either. It was okay. Um, it was like, you could tell why not a lot of them have a career after 2008. It's, a, it's, it's not it's... like, oh my god, this is unbearable. No, but, it really isn't. It's um, just It's just like, to subpar. me, it's like, yeah, very standard, like, straight to DVD horror movie. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, they're going through the woods, and they actually run into the killer that early in the film. This is where they believe he's cruising, uh, which I found out. I mean, I knew before, and I'd forgotten. B reminded me. It's where um, people who, like, aren't comfortable with, like, being homosexual are looking for anonymous sex. And so they go to, like, there's different places that you can go. So they all think he's cruising, and they, like, try to, like, kind of... Like, heckle him. Yeah, they heckle him. Oh, come on, come get it. Yeah, they all moon him. Um... And then he, like, ghosts them, and they hear something, and they freak out. I mean, even, like, he's a scary-looking dude. I was, like, when they were heckling him, I was, like, I would not, I would be out of there so fast. There's also, no part of me that would, like, be showing my bare ass to this dude. It's hilarious, because before they do that, they all group pee together. Yeah. They, like, all go to, like, different trees and pee, and they're, like, talking while they're peeing to each other. And I was just cracking up. I'm, like, this is so funny. Um, and then they make it to the actual uh, festival, um, where Eddie meets up with another guy that he had seen earlier to, um, in the like day. At a tattoo shop. Yeah, at a tattoo shop where he was getting these angel, angel wings, wings on his back. Because um, <clears throat> Eddie is actually sent there, like, he is technically on duty. Because yeah. he's supposed to be investigating. Um, the police officer, the sergeant, knows that it was two gay men who were killed. So he wants Eddie to go and kind of patrol the West Hollywood Festival. Um, which is kind of weird because he's, like, definitely out there partying. Uh, and yes. he's like wearing his dad's old uniform and stuff. Yeah, that kind of, that stuff they could try to like force kind of this weird like stuff with his dad. Like, oh, I'm gonna wear my dad's old uniform. It never comes to fruition oh, on it like, doesn't. anything. Yeah, I think they really just tried to play like why it's so important for him to be yes. a cop. Yeah, but it kind of like falls flat. Like, I get what they were trying to do with it, but it seems a little weird. Like, we kept going like, all right, his dad is somehow gonna loop into this. And it ended up being the I was like, maybe the killer is his dad. Yeah. I was like, yeah, it's his dad coming back, killing Not proud of him. (laughs) That would be awful. Um, Son, I'm disappointed in you. But they make it to the club eventually, and uh, they all kind of go their separate ways. Uh, Like, they have the one friend who's, like, really just have to have a good time. He's the bisexual character, and he's, like, doing drugs and, like, 
getting like I don't know how he trashed. didn't die just from OD. Oh yeah, he's doing like four different types of drugs. He's, he's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna pop bunch. this pill. Oh, I'm gonna pop another pill. And I'm gonna do coke off this yeah. girl's breast. Disclaimer: like, like Ryan and I don't know anything about drugs. Mm-mm. We're like really naive in that department. Yeah. Um, and fine with that. Yes. Um, so he like pops a pill. We're like, huh. Yeah, that's like acid. That's a pill. I was like, right? is that ecstasy? We're and like, oh, she's yeah. like, I don't know, is acid a pill? I was like, I don't fucking know. We're like, oh wait, is that the same thing? So he was doing some kind of pill party drug. Yeah, who knows? It could be Tylenol PM. Maybe he's sleepy. Yeah. Uh, Maybe a little Benadryl. Yeah, he's, he's congested. Like, yeah. He wants to have a good time. He's going to do coke later. He needs his um, sinuses opened up. Oh lord. Um, but our first kill is joey who spends like the first 15 minutes of the movie trying to get this dude's number and he finally gets it and they he's make like out a, in the bathroom he's, he's like, like a, supposed to be like a jock like the hot guy isn't he dressed in like a football outfit the guy he's fawning yeah. for joey is yeah joey's kind of like the dorky one he's yeah. like really afraid to wear this costume that's like, like super risque it's yeah. like bdsm gear um like really dorky and he's like trying to get he's like i already have his number but i didn't get it from him so you can tell he's like really been like kind of obsessing over this guy and this guy is like this cool one he's like oh yeah then oh i met you at a party i don't really remember what he's like oh i party so much you know um and they finally meet up and he gets super stoked they make out and he gets super excited and boom devil man kicks open the bathroom stall beats the shit out of him um and then full and um, I don't think we see any of the decapitations. They're all alluded to, or like there's some camera trickery. Yeah. Um, but fully decapitates him, and then the body. It is cool because it's discovered not long after, because um, it's just laying in the stall, bleeding everywhere. And, and his they, body's like kind of convulsing still. Yeah, which I thought was a cool part. Yeah. Like it's twitching. So um, two other guys come into the bathroom, and they think at first that it's a prop, and they're like, "Oh, holy shit, this is gross!" And they're like. Blah blah blah, and then it starts twitching, and they're like, they like realize that it's not. No, a prop. they don't ever realize that it's a prop. No, I thought they did because no. the cops show up at the and they close the club down. No, that's because he's on the dance floor. That's why it ends up getting. Oh yeah, yeah. so no, they still he they just think it's a really good like effect. And right. Ryan and I were talking about that because it brought up like, man, what would we do if we were in that situation where you go? It's Halloween. You're at a Halloween themed party. And you go, and I mean, I'd like to think that you just would realize it's a real person. And it probably, it, would it smell? I don't know. Never I've been never around been around a dead body. Either. Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, like, but You could probably smell the blood, though. That's, maybe, I don't know. That's, one, my sense smells terrible. Two, like, I'm legit afraid of that happening one day. Of like, oh, I just walked through a house full of dead bodies and didn't think they were dead bodies because it's Halloween. And I, w- I would be like, damn, these are some cool ass effects. Yeah, man. I think there. I think the only part of me that would like question it would because I've been through a lot of haunted houses, and I I would just be like, this quality is too high. Like <laughs> something is fucking wrong. That here. body's too good. Yeah, it's too good. Oh um, man, but, I just don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. So like, hopefully I, we never have to find out. I don't want to. Um, I don't ever want to see hope, that. Like, I, I hope that's never a news story I read about. Like, I don't need that shit to exist. I don't need to be worrying about it more than I worried about it in this moment. <laughs> Um, but it was cool. Like the, I thought the discovery of the body was actually yeah. better than the actual kill. Um, next we have, uh, so like the, again, they're all kind of like split up. Eddie's running around with, um, his crush character who is, I forget his name now. To- J- Toby? No. no. Chaz. No, Chaz is the drug doing guy. Jake. Jake. Um, so he's running around with Jake. It's like, you know, this motorcycle riding bad boy. Tattoos um, and. Yeah. He's supposed to be really handsome. He's. He's like almost cute. He's almost handsome. Yeah. 
I think Eddie's actually, like, cuter than yes. he is. Um, so they're running around doing their own thing, and they, like, run into Chaz, who is just, like, they ru- actually run into him doing coke off some girl's boobs. Um, and he's just like, I'm here to have a good time, and, like, he kind of bails on them again. And um, also this whole time, Toby, who's, like, the big, giant, like, strong dude, he's also a very big, chiseled dude, is having a miserable time because he, like, he can't pick anybody up because yeah. he's dressed as a woman. Yeah. He's dressed in drag. So he, like, can't... He's trying all night to pick people up. So he's, like, going off doing his own thing. He's bummed. He's not... All of his friends have, like, ended up, like, getting with guys. And he's, like... Or girls. Or girls, yeah. Chaz is hooked up and with And he gets, like, screwed, which becomes a plot point of how he gets killed. Yeah. So Chaz comes... So, okay. I like Chaz's death scene, but it's too long. So he's oh in, my goodness! He's if you in a follow club. us on Instagram, I Instagram Ryan because I could not. I was like wheezing, laughing. He's cracking me up. He's like shielding his eyes because this is the club scene. I thought I was and gonna the, have a seizure. The lights were flashing. He was like, "Oh, why would they do this? Why would they make the lights do that? I don't like this. Oh my god!" And he's like shielding his eyes. Like it's still going. It's still happening. It's, like, it's okay. I'm not gonna exaggerate. It's not ten minutes, but it's at least like a solid six minutes of strobe lights. And like it's cool because the killer shows up. And he, like, literally kills Chaz on the dance floor, which is, like, very reminiscent to me of, like, Scream 2, where he kills her in the theater and, like, yes. no one realizes That's exactly it. what I thought of. Yeah. Also, fun fact, there was, like, a knockoff ghost face mask in the crowd that we yes. kept seeing, which was fun. Um, and so, like, he kills him on the dance floor, which is pretty cool, because, like, the strobe's happening, and he shows up, and he, like, pretty much dices up his, in- like, his, like, stomach, and then Joy, f- or Chaz, falls on the dance floor, and he, decapt- he decapitates him right there, like, right in the middle of the dance floor. Um, so I thought it was an effective kill and it was cool. Yeah. Uh, it just like, it was a little too long for me. I was like, I, from the second it started happening, I was like, I understand what's happening here. You don't need to like <laughs> play this out for six minutes of strobe effect. I, I get what you're doing. I'm um, catching on. Yes. So Chaz leaves, or no, uh, the killer leaves with Chaz's head literally in his hand. He's just holding it. And like, uh. Toby? Toby's outside throwing yeah, up. Yeah, throwing up. And he's like, oh, no, don't worry. Like, I didn't need those calories anyways. And he recognizes the devil, thinking it's that guy who was trying to pick up crews on him earlier. Mm-hmm. And so I think he's, in his mind, he's like, all right, this is my chance. Like, all my friends have left me. They all found people to hook up with tonight. Like, I'm going to, this is my shot. And so he literally is following the devil Mm-hmm. Who's like then now in this like alley with fucking Chaz's head like bleeding, and Toby's just like this was probably my favorite part of the movie. It was really good. Um, Toby's like going after him and being like, "Come on, man! Like I'm really handsome. Like I'm a this is just a costume. Like I don't normally look like this." And the devil's just like ignoring him and walking and walking. And he finally throws his ID at him. Yeah, to show him what he actually To show him, like, like, look, I'm, like, really attractive. He, like, takes off his wig. He shows him ID, his ID, and the devil picks it up and looks at him and sees him. And then fucking just straight... One swipe decapitates him. One swipe him. decapitates him. Um, which also is leads into how the movie ends because he now suddenly has Toby's address, which is where our main all, character, Eddie, lives. They're all roommates yeah, together. Yeah, they're all roommates. Which we got that plot point earlier in uh, the film. So by this point, they have realized that there's killings happening. Everything gets shut down. Eddie gets taken back to the station to give, like, a statement. Um, and, uh, oh, before that even happens, actually, Eddie is looking for um, his friends in the club, and he comes out the back, 
and there's like a gate and he sees uh jake and the killer shows up and chases him down and this is where the poster comes from because the killer basically like traps him behind this gate and stabs him and stabs him in the eye which is a cool scene it's probably my favorite scene in the movie because he stabs him in the eye but since he has a glass eye it just like it like makes that noise scratches yeah it's not the best noise it's like when you scratch your fork on an empty plate don't even say that um but like that's the noise it makes as he's like literally like etching into his eye um but then the cops show up and the killer escapes uh and they head back to the police station and then um, Eddie and Jake head back to his apartment. He's like, yeah, because he goes, he explains to him why he has the eye, which we'd already kind of, they do a good job. It seems like a little, I don't know, it's trite the right, the right word. Um, basically, it's just a little forced mm-hmm. how they're trying to connect, like, the eye part. Same thing that they were trying to do with the whole cop thing. Yeah, there's, like, a carnival game that they end up playing where, like, Jake shoots and he does really well, and then Eddie shoots and he does really bad. Because he's like, oh, I have no depth perception. I was, like, in an accident, blah, blah, blah. And as soon as that happened, I looked at V and I was like, he's going to have to shoot someone. Yeah. And she's like, yep. And, I, and like, we're right. Because how the movie ends is Eddie is handcuffed to his own bed. Jake has handcuffed him. Um, they're finally going to, like, consummate the relationship. And Jake is doing karate in the bathroom. No, I love this part because he, like, won't let um, Eddie kiss him, right? So they keep going and they're, like, starting to hook up. And, like, every time Eddie goes in to kiss him, he, like, stops him. And I'm like, huh, like, I wonder. I just thought it was, like, a l- kind of, like, a weird thing to do. But I was like, oh, whatever. Like, and then he goes to the bathroom and he brushes his teeth, like, with, with his, his finger. finger. And yeah. I was like, oh he wanted to brush his he teeth. wanted to brush his teeth like that's so funny and i was like i mean that's it's just like little like things in the movie like that that i was like oh i got that's kind of cool like i kind of like that yeah you got well it humanizes the character yeah, exactly. like he's in there and then he like takes his hair and he because he has like a little faux hawk and he like puts some water in his hair yeah. and like, make sure it's faux hawk's good and then he starts doing karate in the he's mirror like, he's like, like, at him. <laughs> like looking at how buffy himself is up. Um, and on his way back to the bedroom, he hears something in, like, his friend's, uh, or Eddie's roommate's room, and he goes in there, and the killer, like, sickle right through, like, under his rib, basically, like, almost where his heart is, and, like, lifts him up in the air, um, and leaves him for dead. Yeah. And then the killer starts making his way towards the bedroom, and Eddie's in there, he's trying to escape from the handcuffs, um, and Jake, who is not dead, shows up and hits the killer over the head with, like, some sort of, uh, maybe, like, a bat, or, like, some sort of wooden stick. A bat, yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure it was a bat. Um, and so... We kind of have, like, a fight scene, because it's, like, our final climax. Yeah, so Eddie escapes, and the killer is not knocked out, and, like, Jake is, like, dying, pretty much. Um, so Eddie's trying to call the police, and the phone is disconnected, and they end up on the fire escape outside. Um, and, and, like, Jake is fighting with the killer, and Eddie is hanging, which, this would be so fucking painful. He's fallen over the edge, he's, has... He still has the handcuffs on, but it's just on one hand. And he's fallen over the edge, and he's literally hanging because the handcuff is still clamped around his wrist. And the other hand, like, the other cuff is is open but wrapped around, like, the fire escape. To be hanging by your wrist on a handcuff would be so painful. Like, Just hanging from your arm is painful. The whole time I was watching that, I was like, fuck, that would hurt so bad. Um, So while he's, like, struggling, he, he has a gun. And he's going, like, the killer grabs Jake, and he tries to shoot him, and he accidentally hits Jake, 
And then I liked it because Jake goes, shoot me. Because yeah. he understands that, like, Eddie's depth perception sucks. So if he tries yeah. to shoot Jake, he'll hit end up hitting the killer. Sure enough, he shoots him right in the head. Um, and, it, like, it's cool because it, like, smokes where, like, his mask is. Yeah. Get, like, a little bullet smoke. Um, <clears throat> and then, <laughs> in a really weird scene... Jake is being carted off to the hospital, and like Eddie, because um, oh, the ki- I forgot the killer licked his eyeball out. His yeah, gla- his glass eye. I forgot yes. about that. Before he falls over the fire escape, the yeah. killer like leans forward, and since he obviously knows he has a glass eye because of earlier with the sickle, he, he licks, licks his eye out, and then like, like takes it. Yeah, it's in his fucking mouth. Um, and, and they're like, yeah, they go, and then it's like the hospital scene, and like. He has an eye patch on. It's what's well, right outside the apartment. Like they're taking Jake away. Yeah. And he's in the cart for the ambulance and he has the eye patch on and Jake stops them from taking him, takes his fucking oxygen mask off just to go, You look like a pirate. Yeah. And he's like, I'll be there when you wake up. You know, I thought that was so wait, weird. Well, I was like, wait, he literally took all the energy to take his oxygen off mask off to say, You look like a pirate. Like like I said, the dialogue is a little weak. Yeah, and then the <laughs> sister is, like, heckling the killer as she's willing him into his own ambulance, and she's like, we got you, motherfucker, blah, 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 and then he's like, wait, he's still alive, and she's like, barely, and they're wheeling him in, and that's how the movie ends, is the killer's eyes open, and he smiles, and when he smiles, he has that's Eddie's, Eddie's glass eye his eye right yeah. in between his teeth, um, which is pretty like it's so 80s but it's it's fun it's weird because like you can tell that he so you know he researched a lot of 80s movies and like you can tell because there's Uh a lot of 80s like stuff that feels 80s for this but it's it's funny because like style wise i thought it felt super 90s um but i guess that's because it's like right at the turn still yeah it's the so for me so a couple things i want to make sure i say is that I think part of my fatigue from the 80s is that I've always felt that millennium slashers, like the aughts, and even like 90s too, like with, especially with like with Scream, I think Scream helped that trend, um, does a better job of making the characters more personable mm-hmm. and three-dimensional. Um a lot of those 80 slashers, it's literally just like, here is generic stereotype. This character has zero charm and personality. Yeah. And the ones that I end up liking more are because I care more about the characters. And that's super, I, as we like continue on with the podcast as our 50th one, I realize how important that is personally for me to enjoy the film is I need a little bit more connection with the characters um, unless it's like balls to the walls, kind of like Hatchet, where yeah. it's just like, yeah. Even Hatchet, though, you get like, so for me, they either have to be, it's like you said, I either need character development so I like care about the characters and like I know who they are and yeah. I understand them, or I need them to be like so in like, like you said, Hatchet or Friday the 13th, yes. 2009 version. I need them to be so like deplorable that I root for them to die. Yes. Um, like just such, such a stereotype that I'm not like, it's not like, oh, that that guy's the jock. It's like, that guy is the racist, homophobic, piece of shit jock, and I want him to die yes. because he's awful. <clears throat> um, and I felt like Hatchet did that very well, which is one mm-hmm. of the reasons I love it. Like, everyone is such an exaggerated yes. stereotype in that movie, um, or, like, everyone is such, like, 
either like super lovable, like I love Aaron Yu in the 2009, like Friday the 13th, and uh-huh. Jared Padalecki and Daniel Panabaker, and everyone else is just like the worst person. Yeah. Like, Ryan Hansen's awful in that movie, yeah. and like, I don't know. They're all just garbage. That other guy, Christian Troy, Broham. <laughs> um, like, that guy is just like the worst person ever. Um, so, like, I totally get yeah. what you're saying. And so, part I think of what I really connected to this film with is like, I liked the characters. Um, I felt like they had a lot of personality, and I feel like they do. And because it is slower, it's less kills. They introduce you to a lot. It's not a big cast. No, nope. it's a very small. It's essentially um, four people. Yeah, so you you really get to know them, and so for that reason, I think that like holds some level for me because I do like that whole like about to hook up but he was like no don't kiss me like i gotta go to the bathroom and like get the condoms but really he's in there like trying to pump himself up like that just made him so much more relatable and likable and i think they do a good job in this film with making all the characters have moments like that they humanize them like yeah everyone has a flaw everyone has like just like toby like being really insecure and like going after the devil being like come on like i'm really handsome like Posing in front of his model thing. Like, they all have moments that you really, like, don't want them to die. They have small character arcs. I mean, that um, Joey, you know, gets to finally make out with this guy that he's been obsessed with. And then he dies. And, I mean, Chaz is the only one that's Chaz is, like, like, the least developed. It's really just, like... He's, like, the party boy. Yeah, like, oh, like, I just have lots of sex and, like... Do lots of drugs. Yeah, I'm, like, He's, like, I'm the loud one who does drugs. Um, so for that reason, I like that. And for this film too, I think part of my, when we initially watch it, right, it's like, I gotta see how I feel, like, let it like kind of marinate for me. And I think I initially had a very positive reaction to it for purely nostalgic reasons. So this film feels very, um, which we've talked about, like, and we've mentioned like the eighties, feel nostalgic for a lot of people because a lot of horror fans are horror fans because they grew they're they're born in the 70s grew up with the 80s films for us the aughts Mm -hmm. are what we grew up with Mm -hmm. and so a film like this feels like something i would have watched like i used to watch like logo and like bravo and you know so a lot of I feel like maybe I even watched this on TV if it was ever on one of those networks. Or even, like, fucking, like, cheesy-ass, like, Lifetime horror movies. Like, mm-hmm. I was all about that. So this really did feel like something I would have watched, like, on TV in, like, 2005 when I was, like, a young teen. And so it had just had that sort of sense of nostalgia and familiarity to me. Which immediately gave it points that it wouldn't have for another person. Yeah. Um, I definitely did not have that connection with it. Um, but I didn't know how I felt after. And I won't lie, like, the quality on it is not the best. Um, which kind of bothered me, too. Because it annoys me when I can watch Blood Rage, which was made in 1987. And it looks better than a movie that was filmed in 2004. Yeah. Um, but that's not a fault or a knock against the movie. Um, it was just, unfortunately, how we had to watch it because um, it's never got a blue release. It's only on DVD, which is hard to come by. Um, but you can rent it on Amazon. It's yeah. $3. Um, so at the end of every episode, if you guys know, or as I said at the top of the show, we we uh, rank our, our movies. Um, and it's kind of based on like how we how we like look and analyze slashers as a genre, which the more you listen, you'll kind of like understand what we look at and how we base these things. 
Um, there are 15 movies on our li- or 14 movies on our list so far. Number one is still My Bloody Valentine, the original from 1981, followed by Happy Death Day, Urban Legend, um, My Bloody Valentine 3D, the 2009 reboot slash remake, uh, Hatchet, Silent Night, Deadly Night, um, My Super Psycho, Sweet 16, uh, Most Likely to Die, Intruder, Blood Rage, Curtains, Terror Train at 12, Slaughter High at 13, and April Fool's Day at 14. And again, if you can, go listen to that episode. You'll understand why it's ranked so low. Because um, we both enjoy the movie. But there are some things that knocked it down. Because this is not a list of our favorites. This is a list of what we think, based on what we analyze and dissect, are the best slasher films. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking somewhere at this around like 10-11. Um, I think that, yeah, I think it hits the beats. It's kind of like, um, like the blueprints there and we have some solid care. I just like, I think there's two little deaths. We don't know enough about the killer, which hurts. Like it kind of hurts it. I don't know. There are things like it kind of works for it and it kind of works against it. Um, but just like looking at where we've ranked things before, um, I do really enjoy that he uses one weapon the entire time yes, and gives us that. that iconic weapon. Um, I think honestly, I'd put it right above curtains, maybe blood rage. Mm hmm. I think Intruder's better. I do, too. I think we get a little... We have, like, a paint-by-number slasher for sure in Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, definitely heavier cheese factor than Hellbent, but... I think Intruder's, like, so creative with, like, its kills. Its kills are way too creative. And, Um, and, like, its experimentation with, like, trick shots was super fun. I think uh, it has a lot going for it as a slasher. Um, mainly those kills in the in the shots that lead up to them, which we will, we see in other films as being like what makes them iconic because mm-hmm. of those like shots of kills you get, like Halloween, for example. Like you remember moments in the film because of how they were shot and right. how they were framed, and so uh, that puts a kind of really campy movie like Intruder, like leagues above other films like this right i mean i wouldn't say it's leagues above but it has so much um creativeness like you yes. were saying that yeah, you yeah. really can't uh <clears throat> hmm. but i mean as a slasher and how we view slashers i think maybe above blood rage um, just because, like, I re- so like the the more time that goes on, and the more I think about Blood Rage, the more I enjoy it because of its pure like zaniness and like uh-huh. wackiness and like how the fuck did this get made, and <laughs> and like I really want to still want to watch it in a big group, and I had a great time watching it. I like it the farther we get away from it. Me too. I don't know what that says about it though. Um, and the score was super good. The score was Rage. great. Um, but like the more like the farther we get away from it the more i like it but also the more i look at it as like it's not a super effective slasher no um so like i think hellbent would take the edge on it yeah. um I, I think like there's not a lot of kills or even a lot of gore but like they do it effectively like and i think what they do is like um we do get like 
that character, like you said, each character has their own growth and development, mm-hmm. which makes them like enjoyable. I think it has like has a good slasher structure. Yeah, it has a good we slasher have that structure. Initial kill. It... We have like a good killer. Like yeah. he's not, there's not a lot of motive, which like I know kind of dings it for us, but for other people that works a lot of the time. Like sometimes less is more, and I think like he didn't need a motive. We didn't need that from him. Um, and I did enjoy like um, like I there I. There are scenes in the movie, the dance floor scene, um, the uh-huh. twitching body scene, and the eye scene that I think are all really good. Yeah. Um, so I think it edges Blood Rage out on the pure, like, it, like in, it's like we said, this isn't a list of favorites. Because if you were to ask me, like, favorites, like, I honestly think I like Blood Rage a little more because it's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, like, if I were to sit down and watch a movie again and had to pick between the two, it'd probably be Blood Rage. Um, but, well, not alone, though. Um, he's like wait just kidding i take back that sentiment in a group of people but um like as a slasher it's a different experience watching this movie than it is watching blood rage and we've talked about that too that makes this list complicated and the the longer we go the more our ranking we kind of have to think like well we ranked this like that like that because these movies are so different so the Mm. joy of slashers Mm. is that we do have a formula but and we do have these criteria that we think make it a good slasher but it's hard to compare some of them. It's yeah. hard to compare Hellbent and Blood Rage because they approach the subgenre so differently. Yeah, way different. Um, and so it's like, yeah, apples and oranges, but which one tastes better? Um, yeah. So I, I think I think overall Hellbent takes it because just a more iconic killer. We got our, our weapon. We have some like really cool scenes. Um, I think the score is Fitting, I mean, Blood Rage on Battle of Score to Score would win yeah. easily. But like but the, the soundtrack for um, Hellbent is very effective for the film. Exactly. It makes sense. And mm-hmm. also, I'm going to give it points for being within the theme of the film, film and including music that is from bands that are gay. Yeah. Um, or have gay themes. Like, I think that's important. And I think that would make sense think that's appropriate for the movie gets points for it's like authenticity mm-hmm. being judged from people who you know right but yeah i i totally get what yeah. you're saying um so yeah i mean if you're cool with it at our new number 10 <clears throat> that's where i would put it yeah i think that's good cool that's actually i think this is like i think that's, that's higher than i thought it was going to be honestly when i first watched it. yeah but then when you look at the list you kind of look and see like where we're at and i feel like this is sort of like where intruder is and it's funny that we're now kind of like it's at that 10 point i feel like this is kind of where the list shifts mm-hmm. where we go from like one through 10 essentially are like more successful and like our bottom ones are the ones that tend to be more of our favorites and have some really cool moments, but don't necessarily work as a slasher right. as well. Right, yep. This is, seems to be, like, our point where we're like, well, where do we rank it? Above Blood Rage or below? Like, how is it? Um, <laughs> well, it was really fun when I did Scream 101 with Brennan. Um, he's, like, mortified that we put Terror Train as low as we did. Um, and he wants, like, he's really excited for us to come back to it because he feels like we'll like it more. Um, but I just thought it was funny because he was talking at the very like top of the of his show, and he's like, 
oh yeah, right, you know, like um, I know, like I'm I'm a producer for his show, and like sometimes I just want to scream at them when I'm listening to it. I'm like, what in particular? And he's like, I don't know how you guys would rank Terror Train Solo. I was like, wow, out of all of the movies, that's, <laughs> that's the one, the one huh? you get fired up on. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really funny. But yes, yeah, so I am cool with um, comfortable with Hellbent as our new number ten. Um, so that will kick April Fool's Day down to 15. So we now have 15 movies on the list, which you can find at keepscreaming.com slash the dash list. Um, we're working on a movie for two weeks out. We have a couple ideas. We were thinking of doing something proto slasher ish, um, which if you're not familiar with like the, the burbage, that would mean like something that doesn't, that was kind of before the slasher craze of like the eighties. Um, like, before the slasher actually existed. Like even Black Christmas is considered a proto slasher. Yeah. Like Halloween is kind of the cutoff there. Um, so things like Texas Chainsaw or even Psycho, those are considered proto slashers. We're also looking at maybe doing something foreign. Um, there's a lot of giallos out there. Um, or even looking elsewhere. I'm sure there are slashers from all over the world that we don't know anything about. Um, so we're thinking of maybe doing something like that um so we need to find the 90s yeah we need to find something in the 90s um, we have a lot of i mean we have so much time yeah but. cherry falls is a name that's being tossed around yeah. quite a lot um especially with summer coming up and like that movie's about the end of school so that might be appropriate but we're gonna figure it out we'll let you guys know as soon as we know um like uh we said to follow us at uh screaming castle on twitter b has done a great job at making sure you can follow along with us and even when we're like um live tweeting and live instagramming the movies so that is all stuff that you can do thank you guys for keeping up with us every other week we have managed to keep on schedule for 50, 30 weeks now 15 episodes which is super fun and exciting and um just reach out to us when you can let us know what you think let us know what you want us to watch and until then keep screaming <laughs>